Chapter Eight of Elusive Isabel. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Elusive Isabel by Jacques Futrelle. Chapter Eight: Miss Thorn and Not Miss Thorn. From a pleasant, wide-open bay window of her apartments on the second floor. Miss Thorne looked out upon the avenue with inscrutable eyes. Behind the closely drawn shutters of another bay window, farther down the avenue on the corner, she saw a man named Hastings was hiding. She knew that for an hour or more he had been watching her as she wrote. In the other direction, in a house near the corner, another man named Blair was similarly ensconced, and he too had been watching as she wrote. There should be a third man, Johnson. Miss Thorne curiously studied the face of each passer-by, seeking therein something to remember. She sat at the little mahogany desk, and a note with the ink yet wet upon it lay face up before her. It was addressed to Signor Pietro Petrozzini, in the district prison, and read, My dear friend, I have been waiting to write you with the hope that I could report Signor Alvarez out of danger, but his condition, I regret to say, remains unchanged. Shall I send an attorney to you? Would you like a book of any kind, or some delicacy sent in from a restaurant? Can I be of any service to you in any way? If I can, please drop me a line. Sincerely, Isabel Thorne. At last she rose, and standing in the window, read the note over, folded it, placed it in an envelope, and sealed it. A maid came in answer to her ring, and there at the window, under the watchful eyes of Blair and Hastings, and perhaps Johnson, she handed the note to the maid with the instructions to mail it immediately. Two minutes later she saw the maid go out along the avenue to a post-box on the corner. Then she drew back into the shadow of the room, slipped on a dark-colored wrap, and standing away from the window, safe beyond the reach of prying eyes, waited patiently for the postman. He appeared about five o'clock, and simultaneously another man turned the corner near the post-box, and spoke to him. Then together they disappeared from view around the corner. "'So that's Johnson, is it?' mused Miss Thorne, and she smiled a little. "'Mr. Grimm certainly pays me the compliment of having me carefully watched.' A few minutes later she dropped into the seat at the desk again. The dark wrap had been thrown aside, and Hastings and Blair from their hiding-places could see her distinctly. After a while they saw her rise quickly, as an automobile turned into the avenue, and leaned toward the window eagerly, looking out. The car came to a standstill in front of the legation, and Mr. Cadwallader, an under-secretary of the British Embassy, who was alone in the car, raised his cap. She nodded and smiled, then disappeared in the shadows of the room again. Mr. Cadwallader went to the door, spoke to the servant there, then returned and busied himself about the car. Hastings and Blair watched intently both the door and the window for a long time. Finally a closely veiled and muffled figure appeared at the bay window, and waved a gloved hand at Mr. Cadwallader, who again lifted his cap. A minute later the veiled woman came out of the front door, shook hands with Mr. Cadwallader, and got in the car. He also climbed in, and the car moved slowly away. Simultaneously the front door of the house on the corner, where Hastings had been hiding, and the front door of the house near the corner, where Blair had been hiding, opened, and the two heads peered out. 
As the car approached Hastings' hiding-place, he withdrew into the hallway. But Blair came out and hurried past the legation in the direction of the rapidly disappearing motor. Hastings joined him. They spoke together, then turned the corner. It was about ten o'clock that night, when Hastings reported to Mr. Campbell at his home. "'We followed the car in a rented automobile from the time it turned the corner, out through Alexandria, and along the old Baltimore road into the city of Baltimore,' he explained. "'It was dark by the time we reached Alexandria, but we stuck to the car ahead, running without lights until we came in sight of Druid Hill Park, and then we had to show lights or be held up. We covered those forty miles going in less than two hours. After the car passed Druid Hill, it slowed up a little, and ran off the turnpike into North Avenue, then into North Charles Street, and slowly along, as if they were looking for a number. At last it stopped, and Miss Thorne got out and entered a house. She was gone for more than half an hour, leaving Mr. Cadwallader in the car. While she was gone, I made some inquiries, and learned that the house was occupied by a Mr. Thomas Q. Griswold. I don't know anything else about him. Blair may have learned something. Now comes the curious part of it, and Hastings looked a little sheepish. When Miss Thorne came out of the house, she was not Miss Thorne at all. She was Senorita Inez Rodriguez, daughter of the Venezuelan minister. She wore the same clothing Miss Thorne had worn going, but her veil was lifted. Veiled and all muffled up, one would have taken oath it was the same woman. She and Cadwallader are back in Washington now, or are coming. That's all, except Blair is still in Baltimore, awaiting orders. I caught the train from Charles Street Station and came back. Johnson, you know. Yes, I've seen Johnson, interrupted Campbell. Are you absolutely positive that the woman you saw get into that automobile with Mr. Cadwallader was Miss Thorne? Absolutely, replied Hastings, without hesitation. I saw her in her own room with her wraps on, then saw her come down and get into the car. That's all, said the chief. Good night. For an hour or more he sat in a great comfortable chair in the smoking-room of his own home, the guileless blue eyes vacant, staring, and spidery lines in the benevolent forehead. On the morning of the second day following, Senor Rodriguez, the minister from Venezuela, reported to the Secret Service Bureau the disappearance of fifty thousand dollars in gold from a safe in his private office at the legation. End of chapter 8